0: Welcome back to Ball, where today we have our weekly Pistons pod with Andy, a.k.a. Data-Driven Piston Fan. At the top, we discuss Jaden Ivey and our worries about what's going on with Jaden Ivey and Monty Williams. And then we dive into more deeper things in the Pistons in their first six games. So let's go ahead and get started right about No! everybody we are here again to talk about your two and four detroit pistons andy and i are recording on november 4th saturday november 4th 2023 andy before we get started i always let everybody know where they can find you you can find me
1: on twitter at d
0: underscore d underscore pistons
1: underscore fan and uh yeah, since we started playing some better teams, we don't uh, don't look as good as we did before. But uh, that's okay. I, I still have enjoyed the games. I've enjoyed watching um, a lot of chaos and drama surrounding the team. Some people think it's more online than in reality, but I think it's real. Where, what would you like to discuss?
0: Jaden Ivey, of course, that's what everybody wants to discuss. So shout out to... Mike Curtis of the Detroit News, who amongst the beat writers actually was able to ask Monty Williams, coach of the Detroit Pistons, about the situation with Jaden Ivey. And per Mike Curtis's Twitter, the following response from coach Monty Williams, quote, I think everybody here does. I'm pretty clear about objectives. The way we want to play is a team style of basketball, I'm more inclined to talk to guys about defensive rebounding than I am about offense. I think when you defend and rebound, all the other stuff takes care of itself. As it relates to JI, which is Jaden ID, he's still a young player. A young guy a player. As I've said before, I'm not giving minutes out. Minutes are precious, and he's not the only guy that's seen his minutes and all that reduced because of mistakes on the floor. It's happened with JD, it's happened with Cade, it's happened with everybody because I think the standard that we have around here should be excellence. You can't have excellence if guys feel like they're being gifted minutes. So it's not just J.I., Jaden Overall, we need guys to play at a, to a certain level and hold them accountable to that every night. Andy, your reaction to that quote?
1: I think it's a great quote. I think there is some truth to it. Um, I don't necessarily agree with him cutting minutes for Cade or J.D. based on mistakes because... I don't think I've seen their minutes reduced from mistakes. Um And I think it's kind of, I understand he's trying to set a culture, a foundation, and he wants defense to be a priority. I get it. But if you're going to completely ignore the other side of the court on the offensive end, I just think that's not very, I just don't think it's very smart because you are sacrificing aids development by putting him in lineups that honestly can't score and don't provide the spacing for him. And that's going to hurt his development and everybody else's when there's a lineup that can't score. I I think I understand what he's trying to do with, with Jaden Ivy. Personally, I don't think it's the right approach. I think it's a little too much for the situation that he's come into. Um, I think it was in Summer League they did an interview with him, and he mentioned something about when you come into an organization, I want to do a lot of listening and watching, and I just want to like look at things first before I start really like making like giant changes. And I don't think he's doing that anymore. like I think he's putting his imprints on exactly what he wants for a team, and I don't think we have the defensive personnel. For him to accomplish this because our best defensive unit isn't good enough defensively to keep us in games unless everything goes right. So I think you're going to lose a lot of games trying to to lay this foundation.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. And as somebody who's criticized Ivy's defense, he's still a second year player. It's very rare that any player within the first four years of their career is a good defender. Devin Booker was a terrible defender his first four years in the league. Zach Levine was a terrible defender his first four years in the league. These guys turned it around. And those guys were two players who people thought like, eh, they're going to be average at best on defense. And then they were able to to turn it around because it takes time to know how to defend. It takes time to know positioning. It takes time sometimes to even figure out what position you defend the best. And then to get the teammates around you and the system that worked the best for the team overall. But I agree. With, I mean, I agree with everyone that said, what is going on? Why aren't they playing Jaden Ivey more? And the main reason, Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham is tied for third in the NBA with the most points in the fourth quarter with 41 points. Can you guess what his true shooting percentage is on those 41 points, Andy? Um, I forget who posted a graphic on his
1: three-point shooting. But outside of the first quarter, his three-point shooting hasn't been great. So in the fourth quarter, I'm going to say his shooting has been very poor to get those points. I don't
0: know. I'm just going to say 40%. 38.2% true shooting percentage. True shooting percentage measures your shots from two, your shots from three, and your three-point or your free throw percentage. Anything 50% or below is bad. So, thirty-eight point two percent is like catastrophic. It's absolutely terrible. Everybody else in this—you know—most points in the fourth quarter: LeBron, Steph, Luca, Wembenyama, DeRozan, Terry Rozier—they all have a shooting, a true shooting percentage of at least fifty-eight point nine percent or greater. Again, this just highlights how much Kate Cunningham is having to do on his own with very little help, and. I mean, Killian has to come out of the lineup in, in these situations where Cade needs help. And Killian, I mean, I'm pretty much done defending Killian. I don't have anything bad to say about him. But that Portland game, to me, was, was the end of, of the line of like, why isn't Ivy getting more of these minutes? Killian was 0-6 in that game. They lost to a Portland team who was down, Anthony Simons. I'm pretty sure they were down somebody else, too. They looked like just discombobulated all game. And the reason they lost is because K didn't have enough help. And the Killian thing, like just drug it down even more. I know Asar is also shooting under 40%. But if you had to guess between who is shooting worse, the veteran of four years or the rookie who everybody said is going to struggle with his three-point percentage, guess what? It's the fourth-year veteran who's shooting 30.8% overall from the field. And this is even with Asar shooting 6.3% from three. Like, the, I mean, I don't have enough words to say how bad that is, but that guy's still shooting better than Kelly, and the, the time is over. I don't care what his defensive effort is. I don't care how, quote-unquote, good he is on defense. 38.1% true shooting. You can't keep this guy out there. He's a liability. He's why Kate is seeing triple teams and quadruple teams. Like you said, you cannot play a Saur and Killian together anymore, either. That just There's two guys there whose defenders can just sag off and take care of Kate, or can sag off and try and stop the Jalen Duran and Kate Conahan pick and roll. They can go over to Beef Stew and give him extra attention when he's trying to space out the floor. You can't keep doing this. And Jay Nivey, to go back to Jay Nivey himself and what he's been able to do, Jay Nivey, 11.8 points per game. Two and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, they're just one pointing turnovers. Shooting splits are 54.8% from two-point range, 40.9% from three-point range, and then 83.3% from the free throw line. That is a 60.3 true shooting percentage, I believe. 60.9. So it's even better than that. What else does Jay Ivey have to do to like prove he he needs more minutes? Everything there screams, play me next to Cade. And all those shots, the shots that Killian are getting where he's dribbling around, a lot of them he's pulling up in the mid-range, right? A lot of them he's not getting to the rim. Guess what you do when you put Ivy in there? He's getting to the rim, and he's going to do three things when he gets to the rim. He's either going to draw a foul, he's going to finish the ball, or he's going to kick it out. He's really good at doing driving kicks and finding open shooters. I just don't understand offensively why they're not playing Jaden Ivy more because that all of that I just laid out it can pull things away from Cade and Ivy shooting 40%, 40.9% from here already. Again, you have another spacer that uh, the defender has to stay attached to that can help out Cade. They can help out beef stew. They can help out Jalen Dern in that pick and roll and can even help out a to maybe not shoot under 10% from three. I, I just don't get it. And, and I just, I don't understand with Monty. It's like, Okay, can we find a better balance between offense and defense? Does it have to lean so far into defense? And it's not even good defense. It's just more about defensive effort at this point and trying to establish that. I feel like there has to be some kind of balance. So
1: you you reached your point with Killian after the Portland game.
0: So how did you feel after the next game, the Pelicans? I don't care. Days. I don't care. I don't care. He has to do that over a full season for me to be like, okay, cool. And it's 10 points, 10 points, right? I mean, I can pull up his game log here and give you all, all two, four, gonna... two, four from three. He, he drained two shots as a defender. I would be like, let him shoot. Who cares?
1: Uh, all I was going to say was he played 39 minutes in that game. And I, I can almost make a case for understanding why Monty could fall into this idea because I think most Pistons fans, except for the ones who have hated Killian forever, we see his defense, we see his playmaking, and we're just like, if he could just make a few more shots, he's a good player. Like, we can buy into that. But most of us have seen this for three years and we're like, sorry, it, it doesn't work. In the end, we lose time. We lose games. It, it's not happening. And his numbers are no different this season than any other season. There wasn't improvement. They're worse. They're worse. There wasn't progress. But I could see where Monty would get tempted by, oh, this guy... And who knows? Maybe he's a practice player that in practice, he's hitting all these shots that we never see. But in practice, you know, he's, he's making, and Monty's like, Oh, he's, it's going to happen. Like he's going to, he's going to turn the corner. He's going to make things click. So, I mean, I guess I could, I could see that story, but for me, I believe that, and this is a complete guess, a complete assumption. I just don't think Monty believes that Ivy is his type of player for his type of system. And I know people are like, how could you come to that assumption so quickly? But it's just based on how fast his role was taken, how fast his role has been reduced, and subtle jabs that I think are completely unnecessary. Like when your team is down by 20 with two minutes left and you clear the bench and you put Ivy back in, I think that's something that, that just burns a player who's competitive as Ivy. Ivy has never been in a fourth quarter this season past the six minute mark. Like when you get to crunch time and in the last two games, Monty has chosen to go with Sasser instead of Ivy in those crunch time minutes. Um, His role is basically getting further reduced without Monte Morris or Boyan being back in the rotation. So when they do come back, he's probably most likely to have minutes reduced. And in one of the comments in an interview, I think Monty said, was talking about, uh, I think Sasser and Killian about specifically how they pair well with Cade, but made no mention of Ivy. Like these are all just little things that are unnecessary if it's really about improve your defense and we'll get you on the court. Like I just think these are little things that when you start piling them all up, you just say, I I just don't think he thinks
0: he's his kind of player. Yeah, it is hard not to read that into it when it's a consistent thing of Ivy being left out of comments or being pushed further down the lineup. Yeah, that that putting him into the the lineup with like Stanley Moody and the two way guys at the end of the game when it's out of hand. It's odd. It's it's so odd. I can't remember the last time a top five pick in his second year like that that happened to who did play well the year before. I'm sure there's been other guys who didn't play well that that happened to, but it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, as somebody who's been the Jaden Ivey skeptic, I I can't help but defend him now from all of this because he definitely doesn't deserve this role, in my opinion. To think, to, to get an idea of how Monty might be thinking there are parts of it I understand on the defense being so bad. And Jaden Ivey's defense is really bad. But like we said before, he's a second-year player. A lot of guys are really bad on defense. The things with Ivy on defense that I, I can understand driving Coach Banana is Jaden Ivey dies on every last single screen. Like, if you screen him, forget it. He's out of the play. Then the two offensive guys, the one screening and the other guy with the balls, they can just do whatever they want after that. And deal with the big who's stuck out there because Ivy died on the screen. I get that. Also, Ivy's defensive feel has just never been there. And the worrisome part about it for me has always been like, it seems like the same mistakes are being made. He makes the same mistakes. all Going back all the way to his freshman year, and I still see some of them right now where he's like over-pursuing or he jumps in, into the lane when he shouldn't when that's like not what the scheme calls for. Again, those are things that I would understand would drive a coach banana and can also just implode your defense. If you have a guy that just dies on every screen, guess what? He cannot be a playoff guy then because they're just going to pick on that guy all game. And you're probably going to be down 10 within like the first quarter or at least within the first like 20 minutes that you're playing this guy on the floor all the time. So I think Monty's part of it is like trying to get those things out of him but like you said, the little jabs, these things of leaving him out of discussions or putting him in with the quote unquote garbage time guys. Like it just it, those two things just make you think he doesn't like him. And my worry with Ivy has never been that he'll be a bad or that he won't work out. My worry has always been that he would be like Tyler hero, Jordan Poole, or Jordan Clarkson type of player. They're all good scorers. I understand if people are going to be like, they are all good players, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But they shoot you out of as many games as they win you. And also all those guys are bad on defense. They give you pretty much next to nothing on defense. And it's part of the reason why like Hero's contract isn't exactly desirable. He can't, you know, bring back a lot in trade. I mean, pools an- <laughs> probably another different conversation just because of his personality. But there's a reason why the Warriors are more than happy to, to get off his contract, even though they want a title with him being part of it. And then Jordan Clarkson will, as well, as well has bounced around. He's been good and productive. But again, he's shot you out of as many games as he's gotten you into. But you, I don't know that i that. That's my worry. But it, you, we don't know if that's the case. But by putting him in this like seventh man, sixth man role, you're already putting his value as that without even knowing if he can become more than that. So I I think that that's the worrisome, the most worrisome part of it for me from the team aspect of it is like, we don't know how good he can be yet. But putting him in this weird bench roll, like you're really putting a ceiling on what what you're going to see him as here on the team. If you don't actually let him run and make more mistakes, like you said, Asar is making plenty of mistakes. They're letting him shoot 6.3% from three, how is that not as damaging? I think that's even more damaging than what Ivy's doing on defense, if I'm being completely honest. You can't be an NBA player if you're shooting under 10% from anywhere on the field. Like That doesn't get you yanked. And if they're not as angry with Asar as they are, they seem to be with Ivy on defense, then something's wrong.
1: I don't remember if it was the Pelicans game or the Trailblazers game. But Asar put up, like, four three-pointers in, like, a two-minute stretch. Three of them were air balls. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even get close to the rim. And in that time, the team went down by, like, eight points or something. And the team's not good enough to overcome these stretches like that. And I don't understand. And me and you both agree that Assar needs to shoot when he's open. But there's also understanding the shot clock, understanding the situation. And in those situations, it's like, I don't understand how that's not
0: something that they're like, okay, you come to the bench, sit by me. We got to talk about this, where I I don't get it. Also, I don't know any coach that after you airball the second one isn't pulling you out of there. Like, they're not just airballs. They were like, you're not anywhere close to the rim. You got to get out of here. Yeah.
1: And if, if if I would have told you when the season started, or before the season, that Ivy would be ranked number six in field goal attempts, and that's only higher than Killian by point one shots per game. So he, Ivy's averaging eight point eight shots a game, and Killian Hayes is averaging eight point seven, even though you showed the truth you told us the true shooting numbers as far as how much of a difference it is. And if you're a coach, you have to say, okay, these are my best shooters. These are the guys that want to get shots. This is the scheme that we run. But it's not like he's doing anything schematically to help Ivy on offense or even help him on defense. Because when uh, when C.J. McCollum was, was cooking him in the, the Portland game, or I'm sorry, the Pelicans game, I noticed a few times that even on a ghost screen, Asar would switch off of McCollum and give him to Ivy. And it's like, there's times when Killian and Assar were on the court, but they would end up with Ivy as the primary defender. When the Pelicans didn't really do anything to set it up, we just kept switching and just allowed it. To, like, it doesn't make sense schematically. Like, because every team is now going to get Asar off their, trying to get Asar off their best score because he's good defensively. We shouldn't just be allowing all these just
0: free switches on certain positions. Like it just doesn't make sense. I don't I don't get it. What do you mean? Ivy's back line of Joe Harris and Marvin Bagley clean up everything for him. Come on, Andy. I mean, yeah, it's a sarcasm if you couldn't tell. And he's right there. They're not helping Ivy as much on defense when Killian and Asar have the back line of Beef Stew, a good switcher, and Jay Linder, and it's getting better as a rim protector and Ivy has Joe Harris and and Marvin Bagley right now, it's really, really hard to maintain good perimeter defense with those two guys who are not good defenders and Joe Harris being a liability himself as well at the power forward position, which like he's hardly ever played. So we're, we're just frustrated with Ivy. We want him to have more minutes, we want him to play next Cade and uh, I, I just can't hate on him <laughs> anymore right now with how well he's playing on offense and you just got to live with the defensive stuff for a team that is average age is 23 and a half years old. If you can't live with a guy that still struggles a lot on defense, like I, I don't know what to tell you. And when the guy on the opposite end, the rookie you just drafted again 6.3% from three point range should be just as bad. And in some people's mind, even worse than what Ivy's being held back or being held, quote-unquote, accountable for.
1: Yeah, I don't really have have much more to say, except in time, I think we'll know much more if there's other things involved because Boyan is not a great defender. He's not going to be a great defender this year, and coming off a calf injury, I don't expect him, his defense, to be Improved. So when you look at his minutes and his playing time and his defense, we'll know okay, yeah, no, we're holding this defensive standard for everyone, or no, this was just a defensive standard for Ivy.
0: Speaking of other things going on, you're kind of hinting at it because you brought up and you tweeted about this that you think there's three competing visions on it, and maybe it's manifesting in Ivy.
1: Yes, I do not believe that the owner in Gore's and the general manager in Weaver and the coach in Monty, I do not believe that they are on the same page or the same direction or the same timeline. Um, And with Weaver, it's hard because he's kind of given so many mixed signals and mixed messages and mixed trades that I don't always know what I think he's thinking, but If you look at the Wiseman trade, the Wiseman trade does not tell me that we're going to try and win the following season because you're just getting uh, basically like a rookie center. And rookie centers are not great on defense. So that's not going to lead to winning. His free agency of just getting Monte Morris and getting Joe Harris, those were not moves that said, hey, we're going to win now. He wanted Kevin Ali to be the coach, which is for development. So, I think Weaver was still thinking we are trying to find young talent. We're trying to develop young talent. We're not trying to win and turn the corner, even though that's what he said. And at the same time, I think Gores hired Monty Williams because he's like, no, we're going to win now. I'm getting the best coach that I can, and we are turning this thing around sooner rather than later. And I think Monty Williams. And this is just my own personal guess. He got a lot of money. He's got six years, I think, guaranteed. And he's like, I don't really care what either of you want. I'm going to put the players on the court who I like, who fit my system, and I'm going to get the players that fit me. So if that means Weaver looks silly for trading for Wiseman and he never sees the court, I don't care. If that means Weaver looks silly because his number five pick can't get on the court because he can't play defense, I don't care. I'm going to play who fits my system and what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. I just don't see a direction whether, like, if you asked me, are we trying to win this year? Are we trying to develop this year? Like, what are we trying to do? My answer would honestly be, I don't know. Because our veterans are hurt, and I don't see the young guys getting like, like Ivy. Like, if we have Burks out and Monte Morris out, and you're telling me that Jaden Ivey can't get on the court for
0: more than, like, 22 minutes, I I just think it's weird. I think it's bizarre. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense, and it's, like, the best explanation for what's going on with everything. I mean, we, we've talked about the, the Gores and Weaver dynamic, but now throw Monte in there, Monte Williams, and how it's manifested with... Jaden Ivey versus like the rookies that are already here in Sasser and Sar. Again, that, that seems to be making sense. How do you think the players might be reacting to it? It seems like everybody still has fun playing together and everybody said the right things. Again, kudos to Jay Nivey for being mature enough to speak out in the media. We've seen guys older than him go through this, this process and not be... As gracious and not be his understanding as, as what's going on, at least publicly put on the right face. Um, so uh, well, what do you think about like how this is manifested on the court? Um, I
1: think because he is a coach's son and how he's grown up in basketball and his own character and personality, I think he is going to say the right things and do the right things even if he's dying inside. And the one thing we've always heard is how super competitive he is and how hard he works. Um, so for me, that's just what's got to kill him the most is, especially if they are competitive in a game and he knows, oh, six minutes in the fourth, I'm coming out. I'm not going to be on the court to try and win this game. Because, I mean, basically, his, Monty has sent the message, at least from to me, he has sent him the message you are not good enough for me to put you on the court when it's time to win this game. Like you will not be on the court. You are not ready for this. And I just don't see how that's a message that any young player receives that inspires them or builds confidence because like for the last two games, basically he said, yeah, the, the, the guy we drafted this year with the number 25 pick, I'm going to play with him down the stretch in the fourth quarter, not with you.
0: Do you think it's already like sound the alarms or do you think like it needs a little bit more games before we're like, okay, sound the alarms?
1: Um, For me, for me, I'm going sound the alarms. Um, and I don't think it's like uh, an exaggeration for me. There's just too many little things that are adding up and, and I'm not trying to make the comparison between Ivy and Ayton. I'm just trying to use the example with Monty Williams in terms of his personality and his stubbornness. That if he decides he wants to do something a certain way, it's probably not going to change. And for anyone who likes to say, well, he's a super high paid coach with a lot of experience, you know, you got to go with his instinct, you got to go with his gut. When Mikhail Bridges went to The Nets, like, he stepped up a level beyond what he was doing in Phoenix. And you could, you know, and obviously he's no KD. I'm not trying to say he's KD or anything like that. But you could argue that the team would be in a much better position in Phoenix if they would not have traded for Kevin Durant in terms of a longer window, having Mikael Bridges, knowing that he's actually capable of doing more if you remove Chris Paul. And you actually make him a bigger focal point of the offense. I'm just using that as an example to say that Monty does it. There's no guarantee that Monty's going to maximize every player. No coach can always do that. And for me, it's just like I think this is just a big risk he's taking in doing this with Jaden Ivy and trying to establish this culture when. Monte Morris is injured and right now Alec Burks was injured for a couple games and you're still going to stick to this mantra of he's really not playing past like 22 minutes. I just, there's more to it than just him not being good enough on defense. In my opinion, that's why I'm
0: sounding the alarm now. Yeah. I didn't want to sound the alarm earlier and I'm not doing it now, but it's, it, it makes sense why anybody would, uh, like you said, too many little things. Also, if you look at Monty's track record, not everybody is a fan of him. Jay Crowder famously was also another guy who he they just butted heads and did not get along and led like to Jay Crowder leaving the team. It wasn't just DeAndre Ayton. So Monty Williams is a very firm coach. I would say he's like probably like an 80% coach of, of terms of players really bond with him. But that 20% that don't bond with him, man, they like they're like, get me out of here. And Ivy hasn't indicated that he feels that way. But like you said, is a strong personality. There's a reason why Chris Ball has, you know, been so close to him and liked his coaching style for so long. Chris Ball famously is like, you know, we've got to do it this way. If you don't see that vision, then I'm gonna, you know, be on you 24-7. I think Monty Williams is is that exact same way, but their way and their vision, I think, does translate into wins. You know, it's going to take a while, but we shall see. I don't know. I think I'm giving it until probably like the trade deadline to really like sound the alarms. Because my hope is this is just a little blip on the development radar that they get and establish what they want. All indications seem again to me to be that everybody is in and rowing in the same direction. You can tell by the way that they play on the court. Ivy's not sulking, which has been a problem in the past, right? Of his body language and stuff. Like his body language and his demeanor, both on the bench and on the court has been really good. And the way that this team has moved the ball, the way that they celebrate each other during the games and stuff and communicate and all that. To me, it it indicates that everybody is cool and everybody's chill and everybody wants to play together. That's one thing that... Always goes underrated. It's like, yeah, teams can be really good. Sometimes they just don't want to play together. I mean, that Laker team last year, probably a really good example of that. They were good, but ain't nobody want to play together on that team. It wasn't until Westbrook was moved that then things got better because they wanted to actually play together without Russ there. Um, And then conversely, the Clipper team, once Russ got there, they wanted to all play together. It's why they looked a lot better with him there. I just think that part of it to me is something that I, I don't want to quite sound the alarm yet. Again, everybody seems like they're cool and they gel and they want to play together.
1: So, and I don't think anything like major is going to happen even this season, even though I'm saying sound the alarms, I think there's major issues you're not going to see any drastic change. Like, I do not see any scenario where Ivy is traded this season, like, at all. I just, to me, that would be nuts. That would absolutely be nuts. Same. But let's see, like, for me, I had the team going, like, 6-14 and 14 through the first 20 games, and if they're 6-14 and 14 or have that sort of record, those losses all of a sudden, you know, we're laying this foundation, we're doing this, players are like, what the hell, we're still as bad as we were last year, like, then you'll start seeing more things, or you'll start seeing more comments, or people will get a little chippier. Right now, we're, they're two and four, like, they get a couple wins, they're 500, like, oh, okay, you know, no big deal, but once you start realizing, like, yeah, this is not a play-in team, yeah, this is not going to be a five, like, then it's all of a sudden, reality sets in, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, this team sucks and I still can't get on the court on this team. I'm not happy here. I don't like this.
0: Yeah, we shall see how everything turns around. So what else did you want to discuss tonight, Andy?
1: So those were my two two major ones. Um, and I, I guess one little one, and this is just a little observation I I noticed because I I was like everyone else in the, the summer that was talking about like the the Pistons core of Ivy and Asar and Stuart. or actually I didn't even have stew in the the core. And, you know, I guess that's my bad because he's been playing really good, but Ivy Cade, Asar and Duran. And uh, actually I was wrong because Ivy's not in there. It needs to be Killian Hayes because when you talk about our young star players, Killian's played with them for 66 minutes. Ivy has played on the court with Cade, Athar, Stewart, and Durham in that lineup for a total of five minutes this season. And for me, that's sad. Sasser's played three. So Sasser's almost played as many minutes as Ivy has with that core. And it's like, how are we supposed to get a picture of what the core is without seeing them play together and I think that's where a lot of Pistons fans are discouraged, because if Ivy was supposed to be our number two, supposed to be Robin, and supposed to be an offensive engine for us, putting him in this role means he's not that. And if he's not that, then I think the rebuild is much farther behind than we thought, but it's only been six games, but the role doesn't look promising, but I didn't want to go back into the Jaden Ivy conversation, just an observation, looking at lineups and minutes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back and there's a good point for your idea that there's this three different competing visions between Monty Weaver and Gores. That's what that would seem to suggest. Right. And because Ivy should like I said, be number two and uh, all indications from last year were that it was going to be he and K, but sadly it is not been the case so far. You brought up Marcus Sasser, though. I did want to have a discussion on Marcus Sasser. Monty Morris, Boyan uh, Bogdanovic are going to be coming back soon. They're going to be reevaluated soon, as is Isaiah Livers, who's supposed to be at the end of the month here. Number one, do you think they give major minutes? And number two, do you think it affects Sasser?
1: Um, I... I do think they get minutes, and I think, unfortunately, the problem we're going to run into, well, the first thing that's really good is the lineup has looked so much better with Burks in it, so I think if you add in a Boyan or you add in a Monte Morris, I think the lineups look much better just because they can shoot the ball. They're veterans. They know where to rotate and know where to be. Even if they're not great defensively, they know where they're supposed to be on the court, So. I think that makes all the lineups look better. However, Sasser has played great. I would hate to see his opportunity for minutes reduced for a veteran like that. But at the same time, I don't see I don't see any trades being pulled off before the trade deadline. So we've got, you know, almost uh, half the season to two thirds of the season to go before, you know, that happens. Um, so I don't see them being moved, but I also don't see a team willing to trade for them without seeing them move on the court to know that they're healthy enough to actually be traded for. So you I obviously think haven't watched the Lakers. <laughs> so there, now don't get me wrong. There are teams that I think have problems, but there's a lot of teams that I think like, for instance, Memphis, Memphis, Memphis has gotten off to a horrible start, but does it make sense to make a trade or does it make sense to punt on the season because Ja is out for 25 games and like, what does a trade actually, how does a trade actually help them with the Steven Adams injury unless they're moving him? Like, honestly, I would love the Pistons to get him in a trade um, to have him for next season. But that's a whole different discussion. But I just don't see a lot of teams who are going to make that trade at least right now. There's going to take a little bit more time. And teams that I thought would want to make a trade, like Philadelphia, as long as they're winning, they're not going to make any trades. Like They're going to need to have a rough stretch where they're playing poorly before they move people or attach any draft picks to it. So I just I don't see... But, yeah, the Lakers is funny because, like, they're already relying on on Christian Wood. So let's see how well that lasts.
0: Yeah, See, to me, this just further solidifies our trade bullion point. <clears throat> if you if I told you that Alec Burks was shooting, I had a true shooting percentage of 65.8 percent. Would Could you guess what his two point percentage is? 65.8 percent is fantastic, by the way, for those of you out there that don't know. 65.8% true shooting for Alec Burks. Could you guess what his two-point percentage is?
1: Well, I'd say that his two-point percentage is going to be lower, just because I think his three-point
0: percentage is like 66% or like something ridiculous. Um, 50%. 23.1% two-point percentage, okay. as okay. opposed to the 53.8 three-point percentage. You do not need ballion anymore because Alec Burks is the better version of what you want out of Boyan, He knows his role. He supplements Cade. He can be in the starting lineup. He can be uh, coming off the bench. He can draw free throws. He can play okay defense. Like This team doesn't need Boyan anymore. I cannot stress that enough. I know it's hard to hear because you want that spacing and you want somebody out there who could functionally be like number two or number three. But as we have stated before, it just doesn't make sense. 23.5 average age for the guys on this team. You're building for the long term. If this is Monty, if Monty's vision out of your three guys is the one that trumps them all, then trade Bojan. Please, my goodness. Again, he's not going to fit in with the defensive stuff that they've said publicly. Number two, he's a valuable asset that you can use to go get help elsewhere that you might need. Number three, you already have the guy here right now who does everything you want Bullion to do. Only he does it better. Please, my goodness, trade bullion. Um, but the other guy in that that scenario is Troy Weaver. Duncan Smith, the Pistons, Twitter OG, used to write for Forbes on the Pistons, tweeted out yesterday, I rarely understand what Troy Weaver is doing, but the Pistons have an open roster spot while their guys supposedly wear down. Multiple multi-team superstar deals have happened while he does nothing. He, meaning Troy Weaver, does nothing to utilize that spot. Warns free agent body sit idle while he refuses to utilize it. I mean, I, I can't say I agree with that strongly enough. It's just like, why why is there this open roster spot? What's going on? Again, Stanley Moody's here. We love Stanley Moody. We want him to play more. Malcolm Caswell and those guys, they should be getting more minutes there. I don't know, man. Please, my goodness, trade Bojan. And even the Memphis one, I will push back on a little bit I agree. I don't think they're going to do it, but I do think it's like worth sniffing if I were them only because they don't have Brandon Clark. And then Steven Adams went down as well. You could theoretically trade one of those guys for Boyan. I don't think Boyan's the right guy that they need. Maybe they, they trade for something else along the way. And I think they already traded for the shooting dude that they needed last year in Luke Kennard. So that probably doesn't happen. But Steven Adams, uh, $12.6 million next year. And then Brandon Clark, $12.5 million over this season and then the next three to follow. He's always been a good backup big that could defensively fit into what um, the Pistons need already. And then let's go to the Lake Show to give you an idea of what exactly they could offer the Pistons. Rihachimura hasn't played fantastic so far, $15.7 million. Gabe Vincent L O L, another Heat player that left the Heat that hasn't been doing great, ten and a half million this season. And then you could fill it in. i really, really, really would like to uh snatch Max Christie away from the Lakers, who by the way is in a contract year now. So if they could flip, you know, one of the guys that isn't productive for them, Max Christie for a bullion. I think that again, they to me they still remain the ideal trade partner because they have at least young wing. There that you could bring back that they're going to be, you know, stuck in this weird spot with of having to re-sign him right away already. They have Max Lewis as well. If he wanted Max Lewis there, uh, Cam Reddish, Jackson, Hazel, Cam Reddish has been playing a really good defense for them as well. It seems like he's going to work out there. I think those are two teams, again, that but theoretically, they could work out right away already or even towards the trade deadline. Again, I'm just going to say it until he's traded. Please, my goodness, trade Bullion doesn't make sense. And the other part of this is what I alluded to with Alec Burks. I feel like this team has to start with Burks now. Take Killian out, put Alec Burks in. He's shooting the lights out. He's supplementing Kate. He's supplementing Duran. He's supplementing Beef Stew. He's supplementing a star. Like he's just doing everything that you asked of him. Even Sam Vicini of the game theory podcast tweeted, I think in like the second or third game, like, how great Alec Burks is playing this. This is the best basketball he's played in his career. Burks is doing fantastic. Hope he gets back on the court soon. Start Alec Burks, please.
1: So I, I agree with you in with that open roster spot still when you start the season off with injuries, when there were guys like on the waiver wire and opportunities to pick up another guy who guys who are, you know, pretty decent. Um, It makes me think that at some point in the season, Weaver is looking to do something where something is going to be happening because otherwise it makes no sense to continue to have a 15th roster spot that's open. Like I don't, I don't get that, um, especially with with the injuries. Um, and I know we both want to trade Boyan, but what are your thoughts thoughts for Monte Morris on this
0: team now with how Sasser has played? I think Monty still has to play again. Over five to one assist to turnover ratio. What's been this team's number one problem? Probably is turnovers. They need a Monty Morris in there to stabilize that. They need a Monty Morris on the bench to be like, hey, guys, like this is what we need to do. Like, Let me show you what I see kind of thing. And then in that lineup, when everybody's turning the ball over, Monty can be like, we're not running the play through, y'all, because y'all are just coughing it up. Monty, go do this. And he's going to take care and he's going to run it. I think he's too integral, whereas Burks is integral with the spacing. I think Monty is still too integral with the playmaking for a young team. That's probably part of the reason why uh, the team traded for him. And then the community work as well. It shouldn't be the determining factor in it, but it, it does mean something. I think Monty Morris just can't be moved yet. And we haven't seen what he looks like with this team already. We already know what Bullion looks like with this team. So,
1: and I forget when I, I tweeted it, but I asked people... Which lineup would they rather see? And it moved Boyan into the starting lineup or it moved Monte Morris into the starting lineup in place of Killian Hayes for either one of them. Um, and honestly, if you except, you know, Monte is not the defender that Killian is, but he is the low turnover, high assist guy. But the difference is he's a knockdown three point shooter. So he will give you that floor spacing. So I think he dramatically changes what that lineup looks like offensively. And then you still allow Burks to come off the bench. And if I remember right, the lineup with Sasser, Ivy and Burks on the bench has not been that bad. Um, So I actually prefer seeing Monte Morris starting. And, you know, but again, that, where it leaves Killian is in a weird place. And I just don't see him going from
0: 39 minutes, one game to being out of the rotation. So yeah, that, mean- was, that was going to be my next question. So I asked Bryce Simon, motor city hoops of the Pistons Pulse, and Amari Sinkofa like, okay, Boyan and Monte are coming back. Like who, who gets kicked out of the lineup now when they come back and both of their, uh, Bryce, at least, responded and said, you know, Sasser and Joe Harris, they're probably gone. That's like 20 minutes right there. And then he said, you know, ideally, probably Killian's role is majorly reduced. And my response was like, I can't see that. Um, And he was like, no, I I can't see that, too. But like, if you're just asking me where the minutes come from, and it has to be a reduced Killian role. And then both he and I were just like, man, with how much Monty likes him and like the comments he's made and how much he's played him. We have a Killian Hayes problem now, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. It is weird to have a Killian Hayes problem when it's not like his play has been amazing, but I think the coach just really likes him. And it's and and that's why I have the alarm for Jaden Ivey, because when these other guys come back and minutes get even harder we're going to see what Monty Williams really thinks because
0: it's, there's just not enough minutes for all the players that we have. Yeah. I've been measured in what I've said and responded to. If Ivy gets is reduced to like below seventh man, I'm going to lose it. And I never thought I'd be in that spot, but both from a team building aspect and what this kid has done on the court like uh it might be next with a late podcast if ivy goes below the 7th man it's inexcusable
1: yeah and and that's uh and that's going to be interesting because i think the last two games faster has played like two more total minutes than ivy has and again it's only 2 minutes it's only two games but Did you ever think when the season started that Ivy would be fighting against Sasser for his minutes
0: or like fighting against Killian for his minutes? I thought Sasser, yeah, but I did not think Killian was going to be a factor at all. Well, most of us didn't think Killian would
1: even be in the rotation. Yeah, (laughs) same. On the court and he's getting, you know, major minutes. So it's uh, it's weird.
0: So, is there anything else you want to bring up for our Tune and four pistons? Because there's something I do want to end with. I'm good.
1: What do you got? What do you got for us? So,
0: this will be my final comments on James Wiseman. <laughs> Unless he like goes in there and balls out and plays stuff. So, remember we traded Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman. James Wiseman has played exactly one game. And he's played one minute and 44 seconds. He got three fouls in those one minute and 44 seconds. Again, like that, the 0-6 performance in Portland for Killian, there's three fouls in a minute and 44 seconds. Inexcusable. Like Absolutely terrible. We cannot stress how bad this trade has been. Our old buddy Sadiq, meanwhile, has played five games in Atlanta. 11.6 points per game, which, hey, that's like, you know, almost as much as Ivy has scored 5.6 rebounds per game, one assist, 1.2 steals per game. Shooting splits are 57.1% from two point range, 42.1% from three point range. And then 99 percent from the free throw line. <sighs> I wish we had that guy. Troy Weaver, your number one guy in 2020 got three fouls in a minute, 44 seconds. And your coach now like it's clear after that Wiseman didn't see the court again that sends you a message. This guy ain't ready, he doesn't have it. Yeah, I
1: I really wasn't gonna go here anymore until uh there's a time to talk about it because it's just been so obvious. And for any of the people who supported the trade and like it just it didn't, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. And the fact that we lost cap space in trading for Wiseman compared to Sadiq Bay's contract. And I mean, with his contract, I, it's just, yeah, no, it, it makes no sense. He did play four minutes in the second half of that game, too. So he has like six minutes on the season, but he didn't do anything. I think he got two layups or one layup and a dunk, but he hasn't done anything worth, The minutes, and another thing that you should think of is we've already started to see Stu at the small ball five because of how little they think of bringing Wiseman in in any role for any backup minutes. And anyone who's saying, "Man, I wish this team had a veteran center who could play defense," that option was taken off the table when Weaver traded for Wiseman last year because we already have Duran Bagley to do Wiseman. Like, you couldn't add another center to this lineup with a, to the roster without it being just absurd. So that was his calculation and what he did. And, man, I think Sadiq Bey would look really good in this team with this system. But part of me also says that that's why, like, Monty, there was, like, a disconnect with Weaver and this whole thing because... If you're going to hold on to Killian because you want to see what he looks like with a new coach and a new system, why wouldn't you have done the same thing with Sadiq Bey? Because I know they said he was uncoachable, blah, 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 but you're bringing in a new coach. So see what he looks like in a new
0: opportunity, but they didn't do that. So yeah, thanks for catching that in the second half. So six minutes. And guess what I did? James Wiseman play the next game when they're still shorthanded. Nope, did not play against the Pelicans. And part of the reason why I harp on it here, again, I mean, 3,000 minutes, 44 seconds, inexcusable as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's as inexcusable as 6.3% from three-point range. It's as inexcusable as 06 from the field in that Portland game. But, I mean, that was his time to shine, man. That was the time to step up. And it wasn't just that he, like, played badly, like, again, catastrophic. So, so bad. He's in his fourth year, right? And my, I keep I keep forgetting what year James Wiseman is in because he's still playing, like, you know, the rookie. So, yeah, uh, again, that's the last time I'll, I'll talk about Wiseman because, man, that was bad. The The biggest thing
1: is, like, in those six minutes... He managed to be like a minus 15 or something. And anybody who was on the court with him, like their, their plus minus got destroyed. Like, I think Jaden Ivey was on the court with him the entire time, but it goes back to show, like, I know people don't like the plus minus stat and I agree it's, it's a flawed stat. It's not perfect, but this is what he did with Steph Curry and the Warriors his entire career. Like, there was no lineup they could put on the floor with him that they could make work, yet somehow Weaver thought he could unlock this guy and make it all work, and it just it hasn't happened.
0: Yeah, so hopefully this team will go out and fill that 50th roster spot with a veteran big, somebody who can contribute more. On defense and Sadiq, we really, 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 really miss you here in Detroit. Andy, let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D
1: underscore Pistons underscore fan. And I'm excited to see how they play against the injured Phoenix team tomorrow and then see what they look like in the next four games. Because once we hit 10 games, that's when I really take my first deep dive into 10 games of stats. What does this team look like? Where are we at? What's happening? And uh, my prediction was three and seven. And uh, I'm, I'm not changing it. I'm, I'm still sticking with it.
0: I thought after that Portland game, you might have been like, nope, two and eight. <laughs> that, that was pretty bad loss.
1: Yeah, that, that was a bad loss. But I still see them. They'll beat one of these teams that are really they're, you know, having a good
0: season just so that the fans can get excited saying, see, I told you. I know that's exactly what I said, right? There's always that one game where they beat a contending team and everybody's like, yeah, we're all in on this team, and then they'll lose like five straight after that. All right, man. Nice job. Good work. Yeah, I'm excited to see Cade grow more and more. He's been exciting every single day. I feel like we don't give him enough love here. Um, But there's just been a lot to be frustrated about. As much as I want Bojan traded, I'm realistic. I understand the team is probably going to bring him back and play him. Even if they do trade him, he's probably going to be here for like a month or two before he's moved. I am excited to see Monty Morris, Bojan, and Livers put back in the lineup three spacers to see how that will operate. And I'm really, 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 really hoping for the lineup that includes Cade, Ivy, Burks, Stu, and then Durin or Throwin. Whoever else in there, because that lineup has shown like you at least have the potential. They haven't really played together. All three of those guys can space the floor out. They've been the three main floor spacers for Pistons. And then that is a nice little versatile lineup. Kate, Ivy, um, Burks, and Beef Stew. Beef Stew could be the small ball five. They could throw somebody else in there. The the four. They could do weird like... Forward guard lineup thing, cause Killian can do a couple different things. Even though we want to have Killian's role reduced, that seems like a lineup where Killian could actually work in there with the playmaking and the defense and stuff. Obviously, Duran's probably the number one guy you want playing alongside those other dudes there. You can throw Monty Morris in there to give you even more shooting and more stability as a playmaker. Um, I mean, you can, you can even go down deeper of like Marvin Bagley. Uh, you can throw Joe Harris in there if you want super spacing kind of stuff. Asar can play in that lineup, obviously, as well, because he has enough floor spacers around him. And then, uh, again, I'm just excited to see the abilities that this team has with more floor spacers where Killian and Asar aren't on the court a lot together.
1: Yeah, and I know I sound negative, but it's still been a very enjoyable season. Like, seeing the talent that we have, even though we haven't really worked out how it fits together. I mean... When Asar is in transition, that is exciting. When he is cutting and moving off the ball, it is beautiful to watch. So it's, it's still been a good season. I've, I've enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and I've said here, Woodward Pistons, a couple of other places, and we'll do this a little bit for the probably 10 games where I'll talk about Asar's numbers more and how ugly part of them are. But think about it. He's basically coming straight out of high school. I implore you go look at any of the greats, any of the guys really that came out of high school, even if they didn't become like you know Kobe or or T Mac or whatever. Their first year numbers are really ugly, and bad, just downright bad at, at certain points. Not many of them score double digit points by the end of the year. Not many of them have a great percentage either from two or from three. They'll be one good in one, but bad in the other one. Again, think of guys like Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant mac J.R. Smith, I implore you, go look up their numbers. None of them were good, but you know what? They all turned out pretty good. Even somebody like a Deshaun Stevenson, who unfortunately is known more for the, you know, whoever gave him that Michael Jordan comparison, you need to be punched in the face like 20 times just to live through the, the little bit of the pain that you put Deshaun Stevenson through. Even him, he ended up playing a very long time in the NBA, was a very good shooter and won a title, with Dallas Mavericks. So it's going to be rough, but again, I implore you, just go look at guys that came straight to high school, their rookie numbers, they're terrible. But you know what? By and large, a lot of them, most of them ended up working out and becoming solid role players at the very least. And a lot of them also became greats. Yeah.
1: And even though Asara's numbers have not looked good, we were both fans of starting him from the beginning because he needs that experience of just guarding the other team's best offensive player. He needs experience being on the court, being on the court with Cade. And that's why the Ivy stuff is so frustrating. Cause we think the same thing, like we need to see how they need reps to learn how they fit together what works, what doesn't work. Maybe it doesn't work and then we can move on from it, but we don't know that till we see them all together. So even though he's looked rough at times, I'm still in favor of Asar starting the entire time. If his minutes get reduced because Boyan is back, I think that would be a disaster.
0: Yeah, that would be another thing that might set me off a little bit. Because, yes, the 6.3% three-point percentage is catastrophically terrible and implodes a lot of things. But I have no complaints about everything else. As a rookie, being the best defender on your team, that rarely ever happens. I'm getting dangerously close to saying he's like the wing version of Dennis Rodman. Which I don't think is that out of line, though, to be quite honest with how other people have shown, like the numbers of his debuts and stuff. And, like, it's just apparent when you watch him frustrate, like SGA, and you watch him be able to shut down guys that are already the top options on their team and been there for a while. It's like, okay, that's different. He's already been a fantastic rebounder. He's averaging four assists, crashes the glass. He is a lob threat. Like you said, a tear and transition, three point percentage is absolutely maybe the worst in the NBA right now, but you cannot complain about anything else from the young man. He's been fantastic everywhere else. Yes,
1: sir. Let's see what uh, these next
0: next week of games will bring us. wish they were coming down to the Valley here in Arizona, but they'll be up in Detroit. So hopefully I get to see the Pistons sometime soon in my area. Andy, thanks again for stopping by. Let everybody know where they can find you. You can find
1: me on Twitter at D underscore D
0: underscore Pistons underscore fan. Have a good one. I know I've slowed down on the draft content too, but watch out. I'm going to drop something on Alexar pretty soon. I always say I need at least 10 full games before I'll give kind of definitive thoughts on players. And Alexar has played 11 games, so I do have a ton of thoughts. I know he's been hot on a lot of people's radar. Spoiler alert, I'm not as hot as everybody else. I think there's a lot to look into and dive into. Has a ton of potential, very intriguing and very explosive, big dude that can move around. But are going to deep dive into the film soon and let y'all know what's going on with Alex Sar. We will catch you next time. We'll go on it. A-